There's just so much going on at the Ford Motor Company these days that it's hard to keep track of who's doing what. Last week, we brought in Lewis Booth, the chief financial officer at Ford, and this week, we're doing it all over again. Even though we covered so many topics last week, there's still plenty that we did not have the time to get to. But now, we've got the time. Some of the topics that I want to get into today include plans for exporting cars outside of the United States to the rest of the world, what they plan to do with Lincoln, and how they plan to work with the UAW. Joining me on my journalist panel once again is Bill Vlasic of the New York Times and former editor of Car and Driver magazine, Chubba Chetta. Don't go away. We'll be back in a moment to learn more about where Ford plans to take the next steps in its amazing turnaround. From our studios in the Motor City, this is AutoLine. Here now is John McElroy. Welcome to this edition of AutoLine Detroit, where once again, we've got our special guest being Lewis Booth, the Chief Financial Officer of the Ford Motor Company, and it's great having you here for a second show. Yeah, nice to be back again. And also joining us again is Bill Vlasic from the New York Times and Chubba Chetta, not doing anything these days, about to go take a great motorcycle trip, he tells me out west, but is the former editor-in-chief of Car and Driver magazine. That's right. Lewis, let's get talking to uh, the business. Uh, I'm fascinated by this one Ford strategy that you've adopted. You, you've broomed out Jaguar and Land Rover and Volvo. My question is, are you chopping down how much R&D, how much engineering you're doing in new products, or are you keeping that the same and just pouring it into Ford and Lincoln? Well, we're increasing um, the amount of engineering we're spending on Ford and Lincoln. Um, and increasing the amount of capex more than when you had uh, the other brands. No, I mean in 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 total uh, we're down a little bit, but on the other hand we're down a lot on revenue because we no longer have those those brands with us. So if I look at you know what was Ford Engineering before, uh, you know in, in the greater scheme of things, we're increasing the amount we're spending on on the Ford business. And you know the one Ford um, philosophy was never about. Jaguar Land Rover or, or about Volvo or, or even Aston Martin, um, which were great businesses. And, and you know, it's great to see them, you know, Jaguar Land Rover prospering, for example. Um, and we think we've left Volvo in a very good shape, two quarters in a row of making money after some pretty torrid times. Um, but it was always a, about, um, we were trying to manage more than we could manage. So we needed to focus on the Ford business to, to get through the really tough times. And, and then as we move from you know, those tough times to growing the business, it's a dogfight out there. We really need to be completely focused on, on the business. And, and frankly, we could not manage all the brands we were trying to manage. Is that the key to one Ford, is reducing complexity? Yeah, it, it's about uh, reducing complexity inside the, co uh, the company. So many more shared products, so higher, higher scale, uh, you know, uh, more vehicles to write the engineering off uh, of a particular product, opportunity to work with suppliers on, on global supply base. It's also actually, we're, we're also moving towards simplifying the offering um, to the customer because, you know, we've historically had a, a vast array of uh, options and accessories and, and, and vehicle series and engine uh, types. And the customer's gone into the showroom thinking that he or she's going to be able to choose whatever combination they would like and, and go home with that vehicle um, that day. And that's impossible. You know, it's just, just 
numerically impossible. So we're, we're, we're trying to get to a much more focused offering for the customer, so the customer doesn't have so much choice and the dealer has a much better chance of fulfilling exactly what they want rather than roughly what they want. Speaking of the uh, luxury brands that you've spun off, Ford owned Jaguar for the better part of 20 years, Land Rover for what, over 10, Volvo for 10-ish, and there was obviously a lot of intermixing of platforms and technology and everything. How is this going during the unwind? Is this still an ongoing problem to manage to continue to supply them with uh, components? And do you actually get anything back from them on an ongoing basis? Well, uh, you know, we only closed a deal on, on uh, Volvo in the last few days, so uh, no issues with Volvo so far. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, um, the deal was that we were going to equip the, the companies that we sold to have a good future. I mean, that was, you know, our obligation, my obligation to the, to, to the team who worked for me, that as they moved to new ownership, they'd have access to the technologies they needed to, to implement the business plan they had ahead of them, and uh, access to the components uh, that they needed to continue the product plans they had. Actually, that's going very well uh, with, with Jaguar Land Rover. Um, you know, for example, their, their sales have come up a lot in the last uh, few months. They're looking for uh, more engines. They're giving us a little bit of uh, stress at the moment because they're asking for more engines than, than we'd agreed between us um, that, that we were going to produce. So we're working on that. But it's a very collaborative uh, uh, process. Um, and it's, you know, there's a little bit of work in there. We have some people dedicated to make sure that we, we, we meet our obligations to Jaguar Land Rover. The same will be true for Volvo. Um, we haven't completely separated uh, all the processes that we had with Jaguar Land Rover because this, these were two very big companies interlinked with Ford. Uh, we've just made a major separation of the IT systems. Um, and then there are some more little bits and pieces that we're still giving them service on that you know, are fading down over time. And that, I'd say, certainly from the Ford perspective, that's gone very smoothly. And, and you know, when we talk to the Jaguar Land Rover people, we think they think it's gone smoothly too. Is the idea to uh, let them support them while they carry out their product plan, but eventually divorce completely? Or is the idea to remain as a supplier to them for your mutual benefit on some pieces? Uh, I, think, I think that's that's a decision ahead of us. The intent was to make sure that they, they could deliver their plans and, and therefore the profitability projections on which we sold the businesses were achievable because we were going to support the businesses. What's the deal on the engines? I mean, if they want to add more engines, why not just build more engines? I assume you make a profit selling them engines. We will, you know, uh, you know as well as I do, John, that, that uh, that there are finite bottlenecks, and when you get to a, a finite bottleneck in a, in a production line, you have to break it, and it costs you a bit of money and, and gives you a bit of a lead time problem. It's not lack of intent, it's just this demand has come, come uh, suddenly, and, and we're going to break the bottlenecks. But, yep, we'll be happy to supply them. Lewis, it seems like it's been a really long time since one of the Detroit automakers was on the kind of roll that Ford is right now, five straight profitable quarters. Um, what's the atmosphere like in, in headquarters these days, and how, how are you managing success among your employees and your executives? We remind ourselves that, that uh, you know, it's not yet success, it's an improved outlook, that we still have $27 billion of debt that we need to do something about. I'd say the mood is, uh, uh, I mean, the mood is clearly 
hugely improved over a couple of years ago because the big structural uh, uh, reductions that we had to make uh, are over and that was obviously very threatening for everybody in the company while, while those were going on. Um, people are, are enjoying um, seeing the company uh, thrive. Uh, you know, everybody comes to work to do a good job working for a winner and, and you know, when things were so tough it, w it was demoralising working all the hours that, that there were and, and wondering about the future. I think people have stopped wondering about the future. Um, they haven't stopped being completely focused on improving the business because we all know, you know, we've got two big challenges ahead of us. One is to keep up, up the momentum and pay down our debt at an appropriate rate. And the second is we've got to grow. You know, we, we've got to grow in parts of the world that, that uh, we haven't been as active in in the past. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, but, but it looks like um, uh, uh, the workers will be sharing in some of this success this year, profit sharing yeah. for the UAW, um, probably some of the bigger checks we've seen in a long time, merit pay increases. That has to help um, not only make people want to come to work and work hard, but um, you know, sort of push forward maybe even further ahead of the competition. Yeah, I, I, but I think the thing that motivates most people is not just financial rewards. It's about um, are you working for a company that has a great future? Are you contributing to that great future? And do you feel your work is being recognised? I think we have a culture in Ford now that is creating that. You know, you've seen Alan Mulally in action. He's a very, very motivating leader. He's a very visible leader. Um, and I think he's really helped create inside Ford a culture of recognition of great work, um, a, a recognition of that transparency is essential in our business. So if we have bad news, um, we're well, it's not just encouraged, it's demanded that we talk about the issues. You know, we have these Thursday meetings that, where we go through the whole company in a couple of hours. And, and the expectation is that if someone's got a problem, they'll talk about it at that meeting so that we can collectively find a solution because if we don't know there's a problem somewhere in the system, then you can't fix it. So I think that culture is really, of all the things that's happened over the last three or four years, I think the culture that's, that's uh, changed in Ford is the most dramatic. When you talked about uh, uh, the staff reductions and everyone working more hours, particularly during the hard times last year, and that was clear and I think people understood it, but it was, it was very hard on people. Uh, uh, an engineer who, uh, uh, is the dad of a kid on my daughter's soccer team, and I would chat about this, and he would say, you know, I didn't mind it when I was doing two jobs, and even three was okay, but when they piled four jobs on me, it really got a little ugly. Is that kind of stuff starting to get relieved in some fashion within the company? I think, I think we've, you know, we've now settled, uh, you know, because over the last two years, there was so much reduction going on that, that you know, having a stable um, system was probably took a bit of time to achieve. I think we're pretty stable now, and I think the workload is more manageable now. I mean, it, this is a these are still tough times. I mean, let, let's let's remember we're talking about an 11 and a half to 12 million unit industry in in uh, the U.S. I mean, th these are historic low levels, um, so business is still tough, and yeah. people are still working hard. Speaking of culture change, Bob King, the new president of the UAW, is talking about culture change within the union, but. When Ford went to get the same sort of concessions that the union had granted to General Motors and Chrysler, 
the rank and file said no. In fact, if I remember reading right, when he was at the Rouge plant, at the truck plant there, he got booed down in saying, hey, we ought to give the company these concessions. I've got to believe you've got the highest labor costs in the industry as a result of that. And, and how can you work with the union to resolve those differences? Well, um, you know, the, the near-term uh, cost implications of, of that were, were very small, so I think our wage uh, levels are competitive. Uh, and we'll continue to do what we've, we've done in the past. We'll work with the union, we'll work with the workforce to, to stay competitive. I mean, at the end of the day, this is about being competitive. Um, and we'll, we'll work with the union, and they've been very, very open to getting us competitive. Um, and we'll work with them to stay competitive. Do you see working with them to say maybe uh, sharing in profits better than they may have in the past in, in lieu of wage raises or John, I, 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 added I, benefits? I, I wouldn't. I You're wouldn't. not going to negotiate with the union well, here, right? Well, I, I mean, you know, around the world, uh, and, and you know, I've worked around the world, I've always found that the, the best discussions um, of this type are done in private. And I, I, I've, I've always thought it's it's very unwise, but it's also uh, very unfair to have these discussions in, in public. You, you, you know, you have mutual, I mean, our goals are mutual, right? We, we all want to succeed uh, and our solutions are going to be mutual. We've talked about the importance of Lincoln uh, to the future of the company. Uh, since you're shutting down Mercury, what is the plan to keep uh, the Lincoln dealers viable without all of those uh, sales from the Mercury cars? Well, a, a um, significantly strengthened Lincoln lineup, which, which you know we're working on, uh, and, and we're working with the uh, the Lincoln dealers to make sure we do have a future. We, you know, we're not ready to announce all our plans yet, but but. Uh, but the idea is to maintain a standalone Lincoln dealer we'll, network. We'll, we'll have some standalone Lincoln dealers, and we'll have some Lincoln de dealers, uh, some dealers that have both Ford and Lincoln, but Lincoln in, you know, separate showrooms. Okay. You're putting a lot of emphasis on Asia-Pacific, as you mentioned before. Give us a little synopsis of, of your game plan in China, for example. Um, you've had a lot of other challenges to deal with, and now you can turn your attention perhaps more than you have in the past. Yeah, we have, uh, we have two great partners in, in um, China, uh, JMC, uh, who, with whom we share commercial vehicles, and uh, Shangyan Ford Mazda, uh, who we work with on, on passenger cars. Um, we've already announced um, expansions in, in, in both a, those joint ventures, uh, capacity expansions at Chongqing with Shang'an uh, and uh, a new plant um, in Nanchung with JMC. Um, uh, we will be, over time, uh, I think, adding products to the portfolio and over time uh, trying to grow our market share in a market that's growing. So the challenge is not just to grow as fast as the the market is growing, but to grow a little bit faster than that so we can grow our market share. Because our market share is at about 2.5% in total is, is uh, not where we'd like it to be. Is that, is that some of that expansion being funded by the revenues and profits over there currently, or is this going to be... A, 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 lot of the, you know, a, a lot of the expansion is being funded by the joint ventures, so, so by, the, by the, um, the cash being generated by the joint ventures themselves. Chinese consumers seem to be very interested in luxury cars. It's been astonishing to see some of the profits from BMW, Audi, Mercedes-Benz. Even though they've seen a drop-off in Europe, it's been more than made up in China. Why not take Lincoln to China? Well, you know, one of the things you have to do is focus. 
I mean, the Chinese customer is also very, very interested in, in, uh, in Ford products, and we don't have a, f uh, a full portfolio. We don't have uh, what we think is a, you know, a, a more natural market share for us. We've got a lot of work to do on the Ford business in China. And, you know, if there are further opportunities, there may be further opportunities, but you can only do so much. And, and again, the lesson I think of the last two or three years is if you want to do something, do it right by focusing all your effort on it and get that right first before you get distracted on something else. Okay, let's stick with Lincoln, maybe not for China. If it's truly going to be a, a luxury car competitor, doesn't it have to really compete everywhere in the world or, or certainly outside of the U.S. market? I think that's a, a, um, that's a longer longer subject. I, you know, it's if you if you set out your stall to be uh, head-on competitive with um, some of the German brands, for example, um, then I think you could argue that you have to succeed around the world. I mean, we've seen other luxury car manufacturers try that strategy uh, and fail pretty significantly. Um, we've said we're going to be, uh, we're going to build our business in North America. So we're going to build our business in North America and then let's have a discussion about where the products are. But at the end of the day, it's going to be about great product and uh, we're confident we can deliver great product into the North American marketplace with Lincoln. All, all the talk about expansion in uh, Asia Pacific <laughs> seems to focus on China and for obvious reasons. It's about to overtake America if it hasn't already as the largest Western. car Western. market. Yes. But what about India? Uh, India seems to be growing rapidly as well, and it's a little lower up the curve. Is that a place where Ford is active, and is there an opportunity to take a lead there? Yeah, uh, um, you, hear, you hear everybody talking about China because that's the buzz. But actually, we have a, a, a rapidly improving business in India. India is you know, personally one of my favorite markets. It's such a great, great uh, marketplace to do business in. Um, we've doubled our... Uh, our plant capacity in Chennai. Uh, we've uh, uh, localized engine manufacturing, we've localized transmission manufacturing. We launched um, a new uh, small car because this is a low price market, uh, the Ford Figo. We launched it in uh, the first quarter. Um, you know, I think in uh, last month, I, I think Indian sales were tripled compared to a year ago hmm. um, for, for Ford. The industry is growing rapidly, it's, it's hit this, the takeoff point in some cities for, for where people's uh, disposable income uh, supports a, a normal car purchase. Um, so we think India is a very, very exciting market. Hmm. What, what business lessons should we learn, Lewis, from the, um, the divesture of, of all these other brands that you acquired over time and now have, have divested? Um, Mr. Mullally and, and, and his focus on, uh, on one Ford uh, clearly has been a success, but it wasn't that long ago when the, the alternative was, was thought to be the path to success. I, I guess I'm, I'm curious as to when you guys talk about what mistakes you don't want to make in the future, or what paths you don't want to go down, what do, you, what do you look at? Yeah, I think the real lesson uh, that is being learned is um, you have to be great at your base business because if you're not great at your base business everything else is just another diversion and we clearly uh, lost our competitiveness in certain parts of our business in certain parts of the world and 
you can never make up for that by running Jaguar Land Rover profitably or running Volvo profitably or whatever. So to me, the real lesson is, you know, before you think about anything else, make sure you're great at what, you, at what, your, what your real base is. Make sure you're world class. And then if you've got energy, uh, capital, management resource available, then you can think about other things. But if you ever lose track on your base, you're on the way to somewhere you don't want to be. Yeah, there's a great old saying that says, stick close to your knitting. <laughs> and I think that sort of uh, describes that strategy there. Let's let, uh, go back to uh, product again in, from this sense. Uh, the Obama administration has set out a goal of doubling U.S. exports in the next five years. Tremendous goal. This, this country will be rocking if we can get that going. In fact, Alan Mulally was even invited to the White House to talk to the president and other businessmen about, and business people, I should say, about this. What about export out of North America? When I look at the new Mustang, for example, this thing I think is fully internationally competitive. The new Explorer, the F-150, truly not products that can sell in big numbers because the rest of the world doesn't want necessarily those products in big numbers. But if you look at the rest of the world, I think the, the combined volume could be significant. Mm -hmm. Are you guys looking into increasing yeah, well, exports of vehicles like that? You know, Alan, Alan wasn't just invited to the White House. He's a member of the President's Export Council, so um, you know, he obviously takes that very seriously. It's a great honor. Um, you know, when we, when we announced uh, the new Explorer a couple of weeks ago, we said that it's going to be exported to 90 countries. I think over the last two or three years, about 30% of, uh, of the Explorers we've been building have been exported. Um, we do export some F-150s to some markets. Uh, Mustang, I think, is in, in much lower volume. So yeah, we, I mean, we have an export and growth uh, department. It, it used to work for me when I was in charge of Europe. Uh, uh, and they have very challenging objectives, including challenging objectives of exports out of North America. Doubling them, maybe? Um, they're challenging objectives. <laughs> okay. in, in, in achieving that goal, you know, in the past, a problem was that a lot of uh, North American products were designed exclusively for the North American market. So when someone brought up the idea of exporting them, it was, well, we got to go through all these design changes or handwork in the line or whatever. And suddenly the price went up sky high and the product was no longer viable when it was exported. Are you guys looking a little further ahead on this and trying to design products from the get-go to be easily and uh, cost-efficiently exportable? Uh, yes, uh, um, you know uh, the, the vehicles that are going to that are, are, are common products around the world, uh, which will be, you know, over the next several years, Fiesta, Focus, uh, Fusion, you know, commercial vehicles, and and uh, and the uh, small the compact pickup, they will be um, designed for worldwide requirements. The products that are more North American uh, centric. You know the, the mid to large SUVs and crossovers and, and pickups. Um, where, where there's a business case, um, will will export. But you know, for example, one of the requirements in, in some markets is right-hand drive. Well, mm. it's for an F-150 pickup. That's going to be a tiny, tiny market. There probably isn't a business case mm. to do that. So there will be times where where the, the business case is. Is just not viable. But, but, and, and that makes perfect sense. But on some of the small things, like um, I think in Europe, 
more of the tire tread has to be covered by a fender, for example, than in North America. And uh, you know, the taillight configuration is slightly different. And in the design stage, those problems could be solved for zero cost uh, with maybe no compromise other than someone has to actually think about it. And uh, in the past, nobody thought about it, and afterwards it was considerable expense to solve those. Are you, are you looking yeah, we, at those kinds yeah, of things? Quick answer, we're down at the end. We are looking at those sorts of things. Okay. Yeah. Real good. Well, with that, we will have to wrap it up. But, Lewis Booth, thanks for sticking around for a second show on Autoline Detroit. Very interesting, very impressive of what's going on at Ford. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Bill, for coming on. Chubba, you too. And I will be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. The Ford Motor Company has pulled off an amazing transformation in the last three years. And yet, my own personal opinion is the company still has not really hit its stride. Even though it's well down the path in its one Ford strategy, there's still more to go. In other words, I believe Ford's on track to report all-time record profits by the end of 2012, perhaps sooner. And I do mean all-time record profits, even when accounting for inflation. Now we're going to have to just wait and see how events unfold. By the way, to keep track of those events as they unfold, check out AutoLine Daily. Just like the name implies, it's a daily report of the top news from the global automotive industry. It's fun, it is informative, and it's free. Check it out at AutoLineDaily.com. And that brings us to the end of this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.